0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Today's text uh, lead us to see two people with, or or maybe a family and then an individual, with very genuine faith. But then we're also uh, brought to see those who have no faith and who in fact scorn the word of the Lord. They mock faith. The context for our gospel reading today is Jesus speaking to the disciples of John the Baptist. He's responding to them because they saw that Jesus's disciples weren't acting like typical Jews. They weren't fasting like typical Jews would have been fasting. In fact, they were kind of they were eating. They were acting as though it was a time of rejoicing, a time of being excited and, well, What John's disciples couldn't see was that, in fact, that's what Christ was getting at. That his coming was making all things new. And what was once old is now passing away. He's ushering in this new covenant, one to be excited about. The hearts that had once hoped for the Lord, hoped for the coming of the Messiah, were now being filled up. Because there Jesus was Coming to save them. He was the promised Messiah. The one to take their sins. To bring healing. To bring in and usher in the year of the Lord's favor. What a great and wonderful gift that was. And it was every reason to be joyous. To celebrate. To be excited. And it showed even in the life of the disciples and, and while Jesus was explaining to John's disciples these things, uh, he's interrupted. Uh, there was a ruler of the synagogue that came forward. His name was Jairus. We learned that from Mark's gospel. There's a parallel account of this text, which you're going to hear me refer to a number of times because it really opens that text up. Uh, St. Matthew, wonderful evangelist, but is very straight to the point, very direct. Uh, Mark tells a little bit more of the story. So he's interrupted by this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, well-renowned man. And he comes before Jesus and he kneels down, or probably better yet, he he throws himself on the ground in front of Jesus. Now remember, Jesus is in the midst of a crowd. So to fall down on that is in the midst of everybody's feet, not just Jesus' feet. But the man's faith brings him to fall completely down in front of Jesus to plead with him to say that his daughter had just died. But he believed that if Jesus would come with him, come to his house and lay his hand on his daughter, that his daughter would uh, be made alive. That's faith. That's a genuine faith. It's a faith of a father who's just probably suffered the closest thing to death himself. I mean, his heart is At that point, ripped to shreds. There's not much he can do. In fact, he had failed his daughter, right? Not been able to keep her alive. So Jesus doesn't say anything, but he rises up and he follows Jairus uh, to his house. And then there's another interruption while Jesus is on his way to the house. uh, He's interrupted again uh, by another person with genuine faith. This woman who had suffered for 12 years this hemorrhaging of blood, this flow of blood. So for 12 years, she was ritually unclean, according to the law. She wasn't able to be in the temple. She wasn't able to really, for 12 years, associate fully with her family. Everybody that she was around, everybody that touched her or anything like that would become unclean. And they would have to go through the rites of purification. For, for 12 years, she really couldn't enjoy much of anyone's presence. Because always that fear of the law uh, terrified her conscience. For 12 years, uh, Mark tells us that she had sought the help of doctors. And these doctors uh, tried everything that they could do, but everything didn't work. In fact, everything from what Mark tells us made it worse. Her condition over 12 years became worse at the hands of these doctors. There was really no help for her. And so she had been most likely present in that crowd. Uh, It would have been hard for her to have just, you know, come out of nowhere. But she had heard of Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. And perhaps she had been listening very closely to how Jesus was fulfilling those things which she had longed for. The hope that she had from the law wasn't there, right? The law couldn't give her any peace. It couldn't give her any comfort. It couldn't give her any blessings. The law kept her away. But here Jesus is coming to fulfill the law. I encourage you, if you have the time later on this week, go back and and read that portion right before our text today in Matthew, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But so this woman is encouraged by Jesus' words. She's seeing him. He's making all things new. Everything has to be new with Jesus. You can't use what was old. And so she's hearing these words and she comes to Jesus thinking, if I just touch him, she's not or doesn't have the courage enough to reach out and say, hey, Jesus, I need your help because the loss is still here. It's still hurting. She knows that if she makes him touch her or or request that, that maybe she'll be denied because that would make him unclean. But she has faith that Christ will bring healing, no matter how, even just content to touch the garment that he was wearing. She believed that that would even be enough, just being in the presence of Christ thought, if I just touch his garment, I will be saved. That's quite literally what that, that means. Often when we hear this in the gospel, our translations say, be made well. But the word there is to be saved. She wanted to be made whole again. That hemorrhaging of blood for 12 years had taken a part of her away. The part that she wanted restored. She wanted to be made whole. She wanted to be saved. And so with a heart trusting the mercy of Christ in his coming, she followed out to him and she touched his garment. You and I, we've probably witnessed a fair number of people in our life that we, for a lack of a better word, I guess you could say we envy their faith. Is that maybe fair to say that we envy their faith? We look at them in the midst of, of whatever they're going through and we just say, wow, I, I wish I had the strength of your faith to get through it. I look at them and they're just a beautiful example of the faith. And, and I tell them that when, I, when somebody has been a great example of the faith to me, I tell them, I am marveling at your faith. I, I love what you, what you witness to me in the midst of your suffering or trial or tribulation. Because for 12 years, this woman, right, had, had, had not really that contact. And here she's still clinging to the hope of the Messiah. Still trusting. And when Jesus spoke, she was renewed in faith. She wanted to be saved from her poor, miserable, and distant life from the house of the Lord. And it's good to think on those things. It's good to remember these saints that give us such a beautiful picture of faith. And when Jesus had felt that power leave him, he stopped in the midst of the crowd, remember, and he looked around and he said, who touched me? And disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? You're in the midst of a crowd. Um, But Jesus knew who it was. And when the woman heard this, she went over to Jesus and she came forward and fear and trembling struck her and she fell down at the feet of Jesus again. And she told the whole truth. She told him everything. Told him why. Why she hoped in him. Why she was counting on him. And Jesus responded to her. He said, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. With those words, she left there in that moment, not thinking any more of it. He said, my disease is healed. He said, this is what he came to do. And I believe it. And she was healed. She was healed because of Jesus' words. Jesus said it. He's not going to lie. And she believed it. But that was an interruption, what Jesus had set off to do. And at that interruption, there enters another man who says, why bother the teacher? Your daughter is dead. We're going to talk about Gyrus here in a moment. But Jesus thought it to be important enough to respond to that woman, to tell her that your faith has saved you. Now, faith is probably one of these words that is most often confused in this world. It's actually misused by Christians all the time. I've heard people say, I need to find a church or a denomination that fits my faith. Have you perhaps heard that very same thing? And what many of them are searching for is a congregation that fits their personal preferences. That's what they're thinking of. That's what they're trying to find. And that changes from time to time. And so often you see these people aren't the ones that find a church and they're lifelong members. They're more the people that bounce around from church to church to church, whatever their feeling uh, is that year, whatever their personal preference is. But I've found that there is a difference uh, with those who are trying to find a church that fits their faith a difference from what we would call a genuine faith it's that they already think they know everything they have a personal conviction about who they think God is and how he should act and any time a congregation offends those personal preferences then they leave and they find a new place they don't want to be brought to humility. They don't want to learn. And that kind of faith, it acts like faith comes from us. It acts like it's created by us. It's molded by us. It acts like faith is, in fact, established by us and even strengthened by us. But that's not the faith that you find in the gospel reading today. The faith of that woman is not one that she created, not one that she molded, not one that was strengthened by her. If that sort of faith was what Jesus was talking about, we would be in quite the dilemma. Because then we could never know what true faith was from false faith. We couldn't know what right worship is from idolatry and false worship. We really wouldn't be able to tell the difference between God and the evil one, the devil. If our faith is our own product, the product of our own spirituality, then faith is faith. No one's going to be able to tell or say that this person's faith is the right one or this person's is wrong or misaligned. But Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. And we learn from this that faith, it saves So how? The tendency of our sinful nature is to say that saving faith is the faith that does something. Again, it's our own product. We want to take some credit. Even if it's just a little bit of credit, we want to take some credit. Not being so pitiful in our sinful condition as to be unable to do anything. But you don't. That's saving faith. You, you don't do anything. Faith saves you by what it receives. Faith receives Christ. Faith receives the promise. And that's the pivotal difference in what separates our Christian life, our Christian faith from so many other denominations. From so many that we want to share in the communion of saints together right now, right here on earth. But yet we are separated because they say that faith is their own doing. They don't believe that faith is merely receptive. So if you're going to understand the Christian faith, you have to understand that faith isn't your power to will and do. But rather, Christian faith is the faith that receives salvation from God. It receives God does something to you, faith doesn't do. It is common that we see people boast of having faith in faith. They're so proud of their faith or the heritage of their faith that they are blinded to see that they don't actually have faith. Just self-confidence, and that's enough to get them by. At least that's what they think. But having faith in your own faith leads to a fall. There's an example of this in the Bible that we're all familiar with. St. Peter was so confident in himself. He had faith in faith. He said, Lord, everybody else can betray you, but I will not fall away. The whole world denies you, but I will not. And then shortly after, denies him three times. Faith in faith. That's not saving faith. Faith in faith looks inward and takes an inventory to see if there is any evidence of faith. If there's any evidence of your own righteousness. And then seeing even just a little bit of that says, I'm good. I can trust in myself. I'll get it done. But how is that saving faith? Who of us, as we sing, the day is surely drawing near. Who of us on that day is going to look at the Father and say, Lord, examine me and see the purity and the wholeness of my faith and so receive me into the kingdom. Puff up your shoulder, you know, put your back. That's not humility. That's self-confidence. That's not faith in Christ. That's faith in, in yourself. And if you can't see that, then you need to listen more. Because that's arrogance. The only arrogance that the Christian ever gets to boast of is being arrogant in Christ. That is saying that the object of our faith, the object of faith, is Christ alone. Because look at what that woman saw. When she looked inside, what did she see? She saw nothing good. She saw a body ravaged by the effects of sin. She saw a body that kept her apart from the temple life. She saw the chains of the captivity that bound her to a disease that left her cast out. And what did the father see? What did Jairus see? When he looked inside, he saw his heart shredded to pieces, having failed to keep his own daughter alive. He had lost all confidence in his own powers, and so he fell flat on the ground as if to say that he had nothing that he could do. He pleaded with Jesus. Their faith found nothing to grab hold of inside themselves. Inside themselves, there was no hope, there was no life. Each of them needed a Savior. Each of them needed to be found in humility because that's where faith is conceived. That's where faith is born. Faith looks outside of oneself to find hope, but not just anywhere. Faith looks at Christ, and Christ speaks words that give us that hope because they are not promises that we have told ourselves. They're not nice things that we have said to make ourselves feel better, but they are the very word of God and the promises that give life. Genuine faith is in Jesus, and it draws no confidence from itself. Faith identifies the abundant need and the depravity of oneself and turns us to see the glory of God in our Savior Jesus. Faith is arrogant in Christ. It is being bold to say that Jesus is our conqueror. The one who has conquered in the fight for us. Defeating sin, death, and the devil. You see, that's opposite of self-confidence. That's not saying that we have anything, but that all of our accomplishment, every bit of defense that we have, every bit of promise and life that we have comes from God. God. That's the opposite of having faith in your own faith. Faith seeks salvation, not affirmation. Faith lives solely by what Jesus says. That is why it doesn't matter how young or old you may be, faith is receptive, faith receives the promises of God just the same. Faith receives the forgiveness of sins. Faith receives life. Faith receives salvation. And quite simply put, no matter your age, no matter your mental capacity, no matter how many years you've been a Christian, no matter your economic status, no matter your health, no matter your sins, it doesn't matter. Faith wholly receives from Christ the victory over all of it. Faith brings us the promises of God that declare us forgiven, declare us whole and righteous. Remove those promises of Christ, and there can be no faith, no certainty of salvation. Therefore, Christians, we must be on guard. Lest any one of us be deceived into this false sense of security of faith in faith and replace what is true faith with this falsehood. I brought to you earlier that woman and said that it was a remarkable, genuine sight of faith. But I know that each of us, when some saint has died in the Lord, we try to remember the very best of their life don't try to remember all the bad things, but we try and remember the very best of people when they die. But I want you to all realize that they are just like you and I. Our fathers, our mothers, our grandmothers, grandfathers, children, all of them, whoever they were in the faith, they still are just like us. They each have their own story. Maybe it was a disease for a long time or they suffered the death of their child or a close loved one. Maybe it was a severe trauma or an unforgettable mistake. But whatever the situation may have been, they had a moment of weakness. That is the Christian life. We are constantly battling the weakness of our flesh. And that weakness makes us to lose confidence in Christ. We all have to let honesty prevail in this case Where it is that one day we are confident in God's word and we rejoice in the victory of Christ and then the next day God's word seems unreal. The promises seem out of touch, out of reach and our hearts are filled with doubts and we are afraid to die. Faith often flickers more than it is a constant flame. Which is why the object of our faith must be the one who remains constant. The light of your faith comes from Christ. So let us conclude then with the rest of the gospel. When Jesus stopped to speak that word of peace, I told you that there came a man from the ruler's house. He said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? He had... No faith in the promises of Christ. But overhearing what they had said to Jairus, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, he said to him, do not fear, only believe. And they continued on to the house. And then when they came to that man's house and they saw the flute players And Jesus' words were, she is only sleeping, she is not dead. They laughed at him. They mocked the words that Jesus had given. So he said, get out. And the mother and the father, Jesus and a few of the disciples, entered in, having faith in the words which Jesus had spoke. Jesus took that mother and father to where the girl was, And then he took that little girl by the hand and said, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately that girl got up and began walking. The Lord has made a promise. Faith believes that promise, receives that promise. You're going to have moments of doubt. You're going to face the days where your faith is flickering. You will face moments where you are colder than you were the day before. You're going to face people that are going to laugh at you. They're going to mock the resurrection. They're going to laugh and scorn you. But guess what? In the end, the power of God will put away sin forever. There will be no more sighing or tears. They will be wiped away by God's own hand. God will raise the dead. If your faith is in your faith, you're going to be discouraged and fall into despair. But if the object of your faith is Christ and his promises You will be renewed in hope. The Lord says, do not fear, only believe. Believe. And as you believe, the Lord is the one who takes your hand. And he leads you through. And he brings you to the day of the resurrection. When you will see all things made new. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.